You are now listening to the NYYST Podcast. Welcome back. This is episode 198 of the NYYST podcast. I am your host, Christian, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris. I don't, I really, it's starting to get under my skin now that you won't say, as always, joined by my co-host, Chris, anymore. Like, it's gotten this serious for you. you it's did, really pissing so me off a, now. I, because I, I meant to I say it last week. It. I meant to say it last week, but we had a serious show, episode last week, and you were the least of my concerns. But this week... Now that I'm gre- past the grieving stage of how disappointing the Yankees are, now I can call you out because it's it's really gotten ridiculous now. That well, people listen, bro. that the listeners you, you of this mi- show wait for you to say the same thing over and over, and because I missed two episodes out of the 200 that we've done, that you can't say joined as always anymore. You want to start over again? Yeah. As always, joined by my co-host, bitch. I'm sorry, Yo! Chris. <laughs> And filling in for Stack Guy Rye this week, Joe Rivera. Gentlemen, gentlemen. What's up, pal? Let me, let, me, let me tell you, it's, you know, given this chemistry, it's a wonder that you guys even made it to, you know, 200 episodes. But, it's really uh, wild. When you have great guests on your show, you know, I guess that uh, that kind of pushes it along. It's right? true. You do. You are the glue right now. But if you really, if you want to, if you want to really give credit to anything, it's got to be COVID here because we got to look at silver linings. I'm a big silver linings guy. If it wasn't for the remote recording, I that think. That was a good movie, right? With Jennifer Lawrence. What? So, silver linings playbook was one of my favorite movies. Yes. I, I absolutely despise that movie. Oh, but, I love uh, that movie so much. It's, it's Jesus the worst. God, it's I love worst. it. I, I can't say I that do movie. have a man crush though on, uh, on my boy there on Cooper. On, yeah, right? Bradley Cooper's Bradley a Cooper's good looking guy. guy. Good looking guy. Um, but what I'll say is if it weren't for the remote recordings at this point, I think we would have went at each other's necks. Physically. <laughs> so this has been a this has been a blessing. But how you been, pal? Oh, uh, you know, uh, same old, just enjoying the quarantine life. You know, gyms are back open again, which nice. I'm very, very excited about um, here in New Jersey. So that's nice. It's a little bit of normal normal life back, just trying to enjoy the fall, trying to enjoy a little postseason, trying to block the Jets out of my mind. But aside from that, you know, status quo. Man, I got to, as being, I'm like an outsider here. I have no, I have no connection to the NFL. I watch if I bet, and which is very, very rare. I got to ask, like, all right, you seem like a journeyman when it comes to MLB. You remind me of my buddy Gibbs. I mean, obviously, you're writing for Sporting News, so you got to be un- unbiased as possible. But you seem like a journeyman in the sense of, I watch this team, I root for this team, whatever. So it kind of works out for you. Good baseball is great base- is great entertainment for you. But when it comes to football, man, you're all in on the Jets, correct? Oh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's, I, I can't for, hide it, you know. For both of you, Jets and Giants, how disappointing are is it right now? Like, are you as frustrated with that as, again, Christian, really, with the Yankees? Like, is it that bad? Is it as I bad? Wanna, I don't want to speak for Joe's behalf, but as a Giant fan, I kind of expected them to be this bad this year. 
uh, with a new head coach and really giving the keys to Daniel Jones. I think Joe, as a Jet fan, maybe had some more expectations in Darnold's third year. But, you know, they're, they're as, <laughs> I don't want to pile on the Jets. I don't hate the Jets, but they're as big of a dumpster fire as any team this area has seen in a long time. Oh, the, the Jets this year are by and far. like So the Jets and the Giants are both 0-5, right? But if the Giants were to play the Jets, they would blow them out by two touchdowns. It wouldn't even wow. be close. So, um, you know, for me, and, and you guys know me just from baseball, just from the way I tweet, the way I write stories, just the way I look at sports in general, everything always requires context, right? So I know that a lot of debate shows and podcasts and Twitter and, you know, everybody, they always want to boil down a team's issue to one thing, right? So you look at the Jets and a lot of people are like, Adam Gase is a problem. Um, or you look at, you know, the Yankees and, and a lot of people are saying, well, starting pitching was a problem. Or you look at, you know, the, the Giants and you say, well, the defense is a problem or, or the offense is a problem. You know, it's not, that's just not the way sports works. Um, so for the Jets, it's, there's just so much stuff that's going wrong, just one after the other. It's brutal to watch. First week one really set the tone for the rest of the season. I'm I am fully on board with an 0-16 season now. My expectations have never been lower as a Jets fan. It's Thanks it's painful. Trevor. It's painful. Yeah, I think that's the way it's going. I think that's the way it's going at this point. So are you um, ready to give up on Sam though? It's not and that's the thing. It's Sam is a very again, everything requires context. And Sam that the organization has done so little to support him through his first three years. Um, you look at what the Buffalo Bills did with Josh Allen, and the reason that he's playing as well as he is right now is because they not only did they completely rebuild the offensive line after his first season, but they also started to give him weapons. So they signed John Brown and Cole Beasley, and then they went out and got Stephon Diggs. They drafted Devin Singletary and Gabriel Davis. So they've done a, a wonderful job of supporting Josh Allen. The Jets have done the complete opposite. It took them until year three to really start giving him weapons. So it's no fault of Sam. I mean, he, he's had really poor coaching, you know, to, not to discredit him entirely, but he hasn't seen the field well at all this year. I think a lot of that is just coaching and, and the weapons that he has, the, the players that he has to play with. So again, it's, it's not any one thing. It's, it's all the, the chickens are coming home to roost. It's been, it's 10 years of bad drafting. It's, it's lack of support for your franchise quarterback. It's a bad head coaching hire. It's top to bottom. It's just a dumpster fire. Like you said, Christian, I did this on purpose to lay the groundwork for your emotions for this episode to get on our level (laughs) to really to, to what we need to talk about with the Yankees. I think at this point, well, before we actually get into the uh, meat of the show, snap Joe, uh, I don't know if you know this, but the dog sits in on recording. Yeah, so it's great. Like it's really, right it's now, good so. content. <laughs> so that's what you you'll hear throughout the course of the show. I don't actually. I have to go to Petco. I don't have any treats for him, so he's going to be a real asshole today. Uh, but <laughs> I did want to read this uh, before we actually get into the meat of the show here. Uh, I got this. We got this tweet at NYY Sports Talk. Actually, a direct message from at NYY underscore Cards underscore UK today, uh, and he says, "Hey boys, uh, first off, I should have stopped reading right there because we're the fellas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> let's not Just let's w- not rip this guy. He, he left us like <laughs> he left us a, a three page review in our DMs, which was very all, all very well worded. Yeah, oh. but he, if you're yeah, but he's got to understand. If he wants to jump in, bro, he's got to. He's got to be. Go yeah, I agree. Feet, right? I agree. Let's rip. All right. So he shred. says, "Just want to say thanks for the work you guys do with the pod, 
podcast. I followed it for the past two years now, and I'll be honest, at first I thought it was just three Yankee fans arguing with each other. But the more I listened, the more I realized just how passionate you all were about the team and how authentic your pod really is. You have all the very structured and polished podcasts, and then there's the three of you. And then which I almost wanted to stop I reading right there. That. I said, loved it. Then he says, that's not a backhanded compliment. It's not meant to be. What I'm trying to say is I feel your pod is like I'm talking to my boys about the Yankees, and that makes it unique compared to other Yankee podcasts. The recent fan therapy episode, for example, there's no doubt you guys just love this team. And as a fan from the UK who uses social media podcasts to try to get closer to to the sport and fans, that's exactly the type of content that I want. And he goes on to, you know, continue to kiss her ass a little bit more. So, you know, thank you very much. But, um, and I've said this, I said this numerous times on the show, and uh, I think Chris is in agreement here. That is the most, that's actually the biggest compliment that we can receive. Absolutely, dude. Uh, Thank we, you very much. When you listen to your sh- when you listen to our show and you feel like you're sitting there having a beer and talking to your buddies about the sport and the team that you love. Yeah, could we structure the show like you're watching uh, you know, like a a formal ESPN show or something like that? I'm sure we could. But I don't want to. I don't yeah. know. I don't know if that's the way Chris wants no, to do it. No, I thought I did for a while. In like a sense of more segments and shit, but you know what? I think that would take away from the one thing. There's this this market. I'm sure Joe knows this better than anyone. The podcast market. It's so saturated, especially New York sports, especially with the Yankees. In 2017, when we started this show, it was like perfect timing because the Yankees started to become relevant again. Right, right around the time that we started, and Within two months of us starting the show, there were thousands of Yankee podcasts generated after us. Um, And you have to, at that point, I mean, all of us are talking about the same thing. You have to find a way to be unique. And I think our our structureless structure here is, is what that is for us. And I wouldn't change that for anything. Well, it's not like I just come, we record and say, oh, we'll just talk about whatever. We did that last week. But normally you get a rundown of the show. and But it's not like we record Sunday. So it's not like, well, in game on game Monday when the Yankees played the Royals, the Aaron Boone took out Chad Green to do this. Yeah, Let's talk yeah. about this for 45 minutes. Like By the time we record, nobody cares. If it's not a big story, then we skip it. Like. There's certain aspects of games that we'll break down that, you know, there was a lot of consternation on Twitter about, then we'll cover it. But mostly it's a lot of big stories and things that you would sit around a bar talking to your buddies about. And that's how we want the show to be. And when you say that's how you feel, that's the best compliment that we can get. So we thank you very much. And we thank everybody that listened to last week's show. Uh, it was one of our highest rated shows of, in a, in a long time. It was an absolute train wreck, but it was probably one of our best shows. So. Uh, speaking of train wrecks, as we get into the show here, um, I don't want to call the 2020 season a train wreck because I think for the most part, outside of uh, the Marlins and Cardinals having those massive COVID outbreaks, it did pretty much go off without a hitch. Uh, it, it got it was a lot smoother than I anticipated it being. Uh, while we got Joe here, we haven't really you know we haven't touched base with Joe throughout the course of the quarantine in the season. Joe, what was your take on the 60-game season? Did it feel 
like real baseball to you, you know, where you invested as you would normally be in a major league season. And and Honestly, just just to add to that, as a reporter, as someone who's who's usually there asking questions and reporting on all this, how was that to adjust? Was it was it an easy transition or did it make your life a little more difficult? You know, it's for me and I think for any other sport baseball um you know, I mentioned this to people all the time, right? You look at baseball, you you look at an average nine to five job, not counting the weekends and holidays, you're working 200 and something days out of the year, right? You look at baseball and you go from spring training to the end of the World Series, to the end of the regular season. These guys are working 200 and something days a year, essentially. So it's the most workmanlike nine to five job, right? So, or nine to five sport, I should say. So for me as a reporter, getting to get into a clubhouse and talk to a guy like Chad Green about, you know, watching, watching, you know, what movies did you watch? You know, like getting to pick these, the brains of these guys and see how normal they are and how like, you know, they're like us they they enjoy normal things. They have exceptional talents. That for me is, is a big part of what covering baseball is is about. So you know, not being able to, to get to the stadium this year, it's tough, you know, because you want to talk to these guys, you want to see what's on their brain, but, you know, seeing them from afar, it's, it's the best we can do right now. So I, I really can't complain about it. It's for everyone's health and safety. And the problem with doing like these zoom calls is that you don't get to ask those like intimate one-on-one questions in those situations and really get into these guys' heads. So uh, yeah, it's tough. And and as far from like a baseball standpoint, I, I think once the games got underway, it was okay. Obviously the injuries were, you don't want to say they were expected, but you know, you ramp it up, you stop for a few months, and then you ramp it up again. I mean, this is just what's going to happen with these guys who are on such a strict training regimen and diet regimen and, and strength and conditioning regimen every single year. So it's tough to see that so many guys get hurt over the course of the year. Uh, devastating injuries, too. It wasn't one thing after the other, it looked like, all year. So, you know, from a, from a baseball standpoint, I thought it was fine. I mean, it's the best you can do in a situation like this. You're glad that mostly everybody – uh, seem to avoid the coronavirus stuff. You know, you feel for guys like Eduardo Rodriguez who had the uh, myocarditis diagnosed after after having coronavirus. But aside from that, I thought this is the best product we're going to get. I think you saw with the playoffs that the best teams still got in and the best teams I think are still playing now. Um, and, and I think that's really what it comes down to is that it, the product itself was okay and we're still seeing that the good teams are still going to be successful at the end of the day. I got to I got to bring something up before we get into really the topics that we want because of what you just what you just said. I'm going to ask you a quick question first just so that I can confirm that my my main question makes sense here. You disagree as as well as I do that the expanded playoffs was a mistake. Oh, it's terrible. Okay. I think for for one for one year it's okay. For this year it's fine. I understand why baseball did it just for this year, though. Moving forward, it's an awful idea. Okay, so my question to you is, or even a statement that we can just talk about real quick. For all the obvious reasons, I don't want the Astros to win. I don't. I am I, <laughs> I am going to be so angry and heartbroken that I was forced <laughs> to root for the Rays, and the Rays might lose, and now I have to, might have to watch another team I root for <laughs> lose, okay? But here's my biggest takeaway of it is that you're right. Every team that really should have been there, and I'm not saying the Astros, if they had more than 60 games, wouldn't be there. I, I really believe that they would have found their their stride and, and, and made the postseason anyway. But 
if you're taking it for what it is, a team that ended what, 29 and 31? I mean, at that time, they're the one team that without this expanded playoffs, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but they shouldn't have been in the postseason. And and now and now you have this team going on a run who A is obviously so hated regardless from most baseball fans, but putting all of that aside, this could be the one team that delegitimizes uh, this entire expansion. If the Astros would just get eliminated and the Rays win the pennant and the Braves or the Dodgers win the pennant, that's a World Series that you probably would have seen anyway. But if you see the Astros make it right now, you're going to see a lot of fans who are bitter say that this whole season was just a joke. Yeah, I, I understand that. Uh, you know, success is a five-letter word. It's spelled M-O-N-E-Y, right? And that's the reason that Major League Baseball even went to the expanded playoff because they didn't want to run the risk of Houston, which is the fourth largest market in the country. A lot of people forget uh, Houston is 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 they're not some like underdog farm team, you know, raised type squad, just as an example. Uh, if they were to miss out on the playoffs, you know, however you wanted to structure them, it would be bad for baseball, not just from a, a back page standpoint in that like, yeah, the Astros got what we're coming to them and like the way of karma, if you believe in the baseball God stuff, but they major league baseball wants money and they make most of their money from the playoffs. So yeah, yeah, Chris, I, I certainly understand like, you know, the Astros under 500, you know, they lost Justin Verlander. Uh, they obviously lost Garrett Cole in free agency. You're wondering to themselves, you know, how good are they kind of going to be this year? And then they finish under 500 and then they go to game seven of the ALCS. So I, I certainly understand it's it's tough. But I think at the end of the day, when you look at Major League Baseball, the one thing that they're after is money. And that's that's the one thing when they when they wanted expanded playoffs and the owners are going to want this moving forward. Make no mistake about it. They're going to want it moving forward. It's going to be horrible if it, if it is implemented moving forward. Uh, just from, from a pure competition standpoint, that teams aren't going to want to play for their division anymore or play for a wild card. They're going to play for the eighth seed in their league or yeah. whatever it is. So I mean, um, it's bad, but I certainly understand where Major League Baseball was coming from and putting this in. You're watering Look, down I, I, a 162-game season. I mean, that's, that's, that's kind of tough. That's kind of like impossible to do. And just to put a bow on it, I think the only way that, you know, 160 baseball is unique because, you know, you look at football on a 16 game season, uh, a team gets hot at the right time. You know, maybe that's that full 16 games doesn't tell the whole story. Uh, but you look at Major League Baseball, 162 games, you get to you get to Memorial Day. Uh, you already know which teams are going to be good. You know what your team is going to be for that season. So you you certainly are watering down in 162-game season. The only way it'll work if you go to expanded playoffs is if you cut the season down by, you know, 30 games, 40 Which games. They won't and I don't do think either, they, they said, won't do that. They don't want the money out of their pockets right. for it's those right. money. games. So we're actually, we should give us a time reference here. We're recording Saturday morning this week. Uh, so when you listen to this Monday morning, the World Series matchup will be set. Uh, we were hoping we could get at least one or two clinches Friday night. So we could kind of talk about this a little bit, but uh, while we have you here, we'll just ask you, uh, and then, you know, when this comes out Monday, we'll see if you're right or not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It looked like the the Rays were going to run away with this thing. They were up three, nothing. And now the Astros are here. They forced a game seven. What do you expect out of the game tonight? And I mean, are the Astros gonna are the Astros gonna give the ultimate fu to Major League Baseball and not only make the postseason after they got hit with this cheating scandal, 
with a sub 500 record. And now they're going to come back from 3-0 to make it to the World Series. And Joe, if you want to do two takes here where you say yes and no, <laughs> I'll just cut I'll cut out whichever one uh, is is inaccurate. Yeah, I'm just gonna, I'm going to go out. I'm going to I'm putting it on the line here and I'm just going to say, you know, I I think the Astros are going to do it. I really do. Um, I, I do think at baseball, like I mentioned before, and you guys know I'm a big stats guy. I'm a big analytics guy, and I love the numbers, and I think all that matters. But I also think in baseball, when you start playing with house money, there's something to that. And you see that with wildcard teams who win the one-game playoff and they go on to win the World Series, where that the Astros are totally embracing this right now. And Carlos Correa is embracing this like an old school 1980s WWF heel. I I understand that, but this is, this is what they are. (laughs) This is just, this is what they're playing, playing as right now. So um, you see them, they're loose last night. They're talking in the dugout. I I just think that's, that's what they are. And I think the Rays kind of back themselves into a corner because they can't really break through with that one big hit. A lot of what they've relied on is the timely home run this year. Uh, this postseason, which has worked out well for them. Um, they left, I want to say, six runners on base in, in game six, and I want to say they also didn't have a r- hit with runners in scoring position either. So, Joe, so, uh, I checked out for a second. Were you talking about the Yankees there? <laughs> You'd think, right? You you would think. But the Astros, I mean, the Rays were never built to play that game. The Rays, I mean, offensively, they have a lot of uh, bright spots. Brandon Lau hasn't really hit at all this this postseason. I mean, Joey Wendell's been up and down. Um you know, they haven't really gotten a lot from the guys that should be hitting a lot. So uh, it's tough. It's it's the Rays are in a tough spot because the second that you start emptying out your bullpen, that's their game plan. And when it doesn't work, you back yourself into a corner in a series with no days off where you're seeing the same relievers pretty much every day, which also sounds like the Yankees in 2019. So, uh, yeah, I, I do think the Astros are going to pull it out. I think they're going to find a way. A lot of what the Rays are going to do in game seven is going to depend on Charlie Morton, how far he can go. But I, I do think the Astros thought, are ready to flip that I thought I saw bird. McCullers was starting tonight. Oh, yeah. No, I'm, I'm thinking well, McCullers. I'm, I got – no. Oh, duh. No, I'm sorry. I I was thinking Morton was still with the Astros for some stupid reason. No, McCuller, M- McCullers, McCullers was lined up to to start tonight. Because more, wasn't it Morton and McCullers that shut down the Yankees in game seven yeah. in 2017? I'm still mm-hmm. having flashbacks. I was going to shoot <laughs> – I'm gonna I'm gonna act like a big shot here. I was gonna shoot McCullers a text just to wish him luck, but I don't know if I can do it. Like I don't even know if I can get myself to that. But I appreciate McCullers. McCullers deep down is a is a true blue Yankee fan who wants to be in pinstripes one day. I just don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can get myself to that point. But Joe, I gotta agree with you, man. I said it last night. I was like, this game is as much of a must win for the Rays as it is for the Astros to me, because you're taking a team like that. I don't care if the Astros were 20 and 40. I don't care if they were 10 and 50. You, you put a team like that in the postseason with guys who know how to win in the postseason, which is a different, I don't care if it's a 60 game season or 162. When you know how to win in October, it's a different feel. And this team to, to let them climb back in, which is exactly what the Yankees did in in Game 5. They let a good team hang around. Same thing applies to the Astros in October. You let this team hang around for long enough, they will beat you. And they're and in my opinion, there's no way they lose tonight. I'll I would honestly I'll give I'll give the Rays 10 times more credit than I than I should if they end up ending the Astros tonight because it, it, everything points to Houston at this point. 
as much yeah. as I hate the Houston Astros, I wouldn't mind having somebody else in that conversation when they bring up teams that blew 3-0 leads. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> Some wounds run deep. Some scars run deep. That's all there is that, to it, right? That, that that one in 2001, Luis Gonzalez will never heal. 2004 will never heal. Uh, we'll get to it later in the show. Game two of this division mm, series will never, never heal. heal. Never. Never heal. It's an open wound. Um, <laughs> pretty so, pretty pretty soon we're just going to be walking around with open wounds and and <laughs> and no cure at this point because just know Joe that you put it all on the line man and when this show comes out it. on Monday morning if the Rays win you're going to get a lot of angry tweets that's it just just uh, just dub me over like a <laughs> most just, extreme elimination challenge I think or the, like uh, I think the Rays will win the game <laughs> That's it. Uh, like we're that's watching it. a bad, like a bad Japanese. <laughs> yep. That's it. That's all you got to do. Joe, you said you're right. an analytical guy. Uh, Wait, let me ask him something. All right. Quick, you ask him. You ask, bro. You take because charge. I want to ask him this because uh, we, we've seen the emergence of Randy Arazarena in this. Post-season. Oh, God, that name. I just want to jump out my window. If I, <laughs> and every he, time he I hear from it. The Cardinals, <laughs> right? He came from the Cardinals organization, just like Luke Voigt came from the Cardinals organization. Now, if you... <laughs> Think if you you know if you're thinking to yourself you know the Cardinals are a good organization they know what they're doing but they pretty you know now you see a Rosarena become a star Luke Voigt was you know yeah. I I'm gonna say he was an MVP candidate this year he's taking over the first sure. base job for the Yankees are they missing something or are they just that deep that they can afford to let guys like this go I think guys like Luke Voigt you know that's like a you don't want to say a one in a million I don't think it's that that wide ranging but. You know, he came over the Yankees. He was what twenty six years old when he came over. You know, yeah, kind of like old. journeyman. So, so he's a little older guy. You know, Rosarena is is the one that really kind of puzzles me. Um, you know, I, you don't want to give him, t- you don't want to hype him up too much. But for a team that really needed outfielders for a long time, and Harrison Bader hasn't really worked out yet, at least offensively. You, I always say that you want as much depth in a position that you need as possible, right? Just you you want to give yourself as many chances as possible. So then I kind of move on. It's, it's a little weird to me, but yeah, I mean, the Cardinals have been such a well-run organization for years that you can't really, you can't fault them one way or the other, but certainly the things hindsight's always 2020, right? You wouldn't think Luke Voigt would turn into what he is or a Rosarena would turn into this guy in the postseason's absolute monster. So um, obviously, and, and considering that it was in such a finite period of time where you're, you know, Voigt was traded two years ago, Rosarena this off season last year, it's you know it's it's tough to kind of like wipe one away and say oh that happened a long time ago being contained in that like two-year period I, I can certainly understand why cardinals fans would feel that way joe gave me another good segue do you mind if i ask him our our first uh-huh. yankee topic please uh-huh. now um all right so you said you're a stats guy um you're you're all about the analytics but also have different levels of of emotion towards baseball because You've been a fan your whole life. I mean, I'm the same way. Analytics to me are extremely important in certain circumstances, but at the end of the day, it comes down, it's got to come down to more than that, in my opinion. And we just talked about a guy like Luke Voigt. We can talk about a guy like Gio Urshela, who the Yankees, you have to give them credit. I mean, they brought these guys over. They nurtured them the right way in a sense of, they they turned them into diamonds in the rough. I, I, I mean, you really look at those two guys and 
you could you could really give the Yankees credit in saying that they turned them into the hitters that they are because they've been around for a little while here. Gio Urshela has, in my opinion, even when he was back and forth, when he was in Cleveland in the uh, in the postseason, I said I looked at this guy. I'm like, don't hit the ball to this guy because I think he's a phenomenal fielder. He's not really that dangerous up at the plate, and then all of a sudden he comes to New York and and he's had two great years in a row, really. Um, so I, I get that the analytics are important, but, but there's still something missing from this Yankee clubhouse. I don't know. And and there's a few things we can attribute to number one being the injuries, right? You can tell me till you're blue in the face that the Yankees should have won this, this year. And I, I will agree with you. I will not give them any excuse, but they're missing guys like Paxton. They're missing guys like Severino, who you fill in that rotation with just those two guys. And you're probably looking at a different series in my opinion. Um, but again, streakiness on the offensive side, you really can't attribute to to injuries. So is it the injuries? Is it too much analytics, which I feel the Yankees have just gone taken a nosedive into these analytics and it's gotten too far? Is it the manager? What do you, if you had to point to just one thing right now, and I know it could be a million, if you had to point to one thing, what is it that the Yankees continue to just miss year in and year out? It's the same thing. It's, you know, and even World Series in 2009, notwithstanding, it's the same thing that they've been trying to figure out for 20 years, and that's the starting pitching. That's that, for me, that's what it comes down to. And and I think that, you know, now you figured it out with Cole at the top, so you leave yourself no doubt, and you hope over, you know, a 33-start season that Cole is is Garrett Cole. You don't have to worry about that anymore, right? But, you know, if, if you're Brian, and this is the thing that still doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever, if you're Brian Cashman and in November of last year, you know that Luis Severino has an elbow injury, right? You knew and it. You're you looking, absolutely you, you knew, knew it. it. And you knew it. And and you say to yourself, you know what? I know understand with like the MRI die and, and how that can, you know, uh, you can reveal more things, but you also run the risk of like swelling up the elbow. I understand that. But this is a guy that you're going to be banking on as a number one or a one a sure. And I understand maybe you're looking at, you're looking at negotiations with Garrett Cole and saying, well, you know, maybe we can run up the, we can run it up a little bit more if we know the Yankees don't have Luis Severino. So maybe that plays into it a little bit, but if you're Brian Cashman and you know that Luis Severino has an elbow injury and you don't do more to reinforce your rotation, that still doesn't make sense to me. And we're not even talking about like going out and trading for a Trevor Bauer. We're talking about giving yourself more depth at the back end, because if you're going into game two with Jay Happ coming into, into the game after Davey Garcia, how little, how little confidence that sh- does that yeah. show in you as a manager, as an organization in your pitching staff? And Joe, I don't, so, I don't want to cut you off here. I want you to continue, but I just have to say, mm-hmm. because I know there's a bunch of Yankee fans out there that are sitting there saying, yeah, but they lost two to one in game five. And, and, you know, the offense didn't show up. Yes, I agree. But exactly what Joe's trying to say right now is that if you can put in a healthy Severino in game two, the Yankees, don't forget, did not lose that game seven to one. They lost it seven to five. And if mm-hmm. you have a healthy Severino and then you can follow that up with Tanaka or Paxton, you, first of all, you're winning game two. And then it's going to be very difficult for the Rays to even push it to a game five at that point. Well, let's not even yeah. talk about Severino because we knew before COVID. I'm just saying we're talking about health season that he wasn't going to be here. Think about a guy like James Paxton. If he had been healthy. Yeah. So you're talking about uh, Cashman not doing enough things to 
uh, give this rotation depth, but he relied on Severino knowing in November because they admitted this, that they knew there was something wrong with him in the ALCS. Then you're also relying on a guy with Paxton who has injury histories, who has an injury history, who you knew back when late February-ish uh, before COVID hit uh, that he was going to miss the season with his with his back thing. And I think they might even knew previous to that that there was something bothering him. So you're going in the season without your number two and your number three, and you knew this before you really even hit spring training that these guys were going to be down. And you don't do anything about it. Yeah, and but look, I gotta I gotta defend Cashman here a little bit because okay, if if it was Cashman's decision to to do to pull the friggin' Garcia hap stunt, you can rip him for stuff like that one hundred percent. I'm gonna rip him too. But to sit here and to continuously blame the losing on the general manager, we got to hold these players accountable a little bit here. And I'm not saying they want to be injured or that they're trying to get injured or that they can help getting injured. All I'm saying is the injuries at the end of the day, when if you stack up this, this roster of your top guys who are supposed to really round off your the, the statement that you're a championship caliber team and they're getting hurt, Yes, I agree. Cashman needs to go out there and get reinforcement. But what kind of reinforcement are we talking about here? That's truly going to make that's truly going to fill the shoes of a Severino or a Paxton right now. Right. We're talking about. I mean, this team's starting to to kind of run thin as far as talent goes because we have used some of these guys to to get some talent. So at the end of the day, yeah, Cashman could have gotten some reinforcement, but. These guys need to be healthy. These guys need to stay healthy for this team. Who to brought tr- these guys to New York? Yes, that's what I'm. But but <laughs> but I'm sorry. Outside of Paxton, what kind of okay? What other guy did Cashman go? You know what? This guy gets injured all the time. But let's take a chance. And and don't John tell Paul me Hicks. Don't tell me Hicks because what Hicks, about Stan? Stan had a injury history previously. Oh come on! He, the guy got hit Even in the face you- with a baseball. <laughs> yeah. Look Outside of that, dude. Okay. What? One other year. That's not injury-prone. Hold on. Aaron Judge has had 4 million injuries. You're still not willing to call him injury-prone. But we're going to call Giancarlo Stanton injury-prone? No, he's not. He didn't. I like Aaron. Yeah, you like him. Listen, Stanton didn't become injury-prone until he got here. So outside of Paxton, there's no other guy that we knew was this bad. Hey, hey, Brian. Hey, Brian. (laughs) Chris from NYY Sports Talk. Yeah, he's, he's, he's your number one fan. Let me tell you. Oh, he is he is all in on you. I you went know, to that, college I, with his niece. I think that's and listen, I think it's totally fair. I think both arguments are totally fair. And that's why I said it, you know, to start to show off, everything requires context, right? So for me, I think this goes back even before the Devi um J Hap situation game two, where for me, if I'm managing, I want to knock in that spot because I want to give I myself I want to give myself three opportunities to win one game. Yep. I don't want to wave the white flag on game two either way. And let's say it works out fine. And then you have Tanaka, but for me, I would rather put Tanaka in that spot, go up 2-0, and then give yourself three opportunities to win one game. So, 
You know, again, it goes, you can look at it from any direction you want. And, and there's reason for blame. There's enough blame to go around to everybody. I don't think you can look at it at one thing, but for me personally, it's the starting pitching because if the Yankees had guys that they could believe in, I understand like you could point at Paxton or you could point Severino um, as, as guys who should have or could have started that game too. If the Yankees had guys they believe in, they wouldn't have to pull the Debbie hap thing from game two. So I, I really think that's what it comes down to. I don't think moving forward, if guys stay healthy, that it's an issue. I think you're looking at this rotation on paper before the season started, you know, before COVID, before knowing all this, you had confidence in it. But it's unfortunately just not the way it worked out for them. And one last thing. Be, the, okay, I know that uh-huh. there's a lot of situations where in game you say, well, you can't play, you can't manage this game for tomorrow. You got to manage it for right now. That's 100% true. But. You're putting yourself at a, in a vulnerable spot for no reason whatsoever by by not starting Tanaka in game two in, in the reasons that you said and something that, that no one else is really talking about. If you do win the series, and again, this isn't managing for the future. This is just managing the smart way now and then making yourself better off in the future. You're putting yourself in a vulnerable spot if you do win that series, because who's pitching game one of that next series when Tanaka's pitching on that Wednesday? If, I, if I'm not mistaken, game one was Sunday, was correct? Sunday. So now you're pitching whoever game one, probably Jay Happ, I don't know. Um, and you don't have Cole because you have to, you're going into a game five until what, game four he would have panned out? So now you pitch Tanaka game two. Not only are you throwing your best guys back to back, which should have been done, but now at least you're setting Tanaka up for game one of the next series if, in fact, you're lucky enough to win the series. And, yeah. and, and it just it didn't make sense at all. It was some very galaxy brain stuff from the Yankees. And, and you know, I think that it's some of it is, you know, maybe on the outside looking in, I'm obviously not in that room. Maybe they thought they, they were cute. They, they took the raise. You know, maybe they thought they could get cute, beat them at their own game kind of thing. I don't know. I, I didn't agree with it. Um, I thought if you were going to go with Devi, you had to let him ride out. You, you just had to do it. Um, because with the way that this this organization has talked about him, the way I understand Pedro Martinez and Devi have a relationship, but the way that Pedro has talked about him and the way that everybody's talked about him, like he's ready for this moment, you don't put him in for an inning and then say, no, you're actually not ready. Let's go to Jay Happ, who apparently wasn't even bought in on on the situation there or coming out after Devi. So, yeah, I, I think that game two is going to be one that they look back on and they're, and they're going to really regret. It, for me, it's the analytics do matter in the regular season. I think once you get to, to the postseason, you just have to – you got to play baseball, you know, and, and you just got to put your best guys out there in a position to succeed. And when you're shorthanded in the rotation like the Yankees were, you can't afford to get cute either. So, um yeah, I think that that about sums it up. I, I think looking back, and obviously the health is a big part of it. On paper, the Yankees' rotation is good, but looking back at it, they just haven't done enough over the, over years. I think now it's it's finally starting to write itself, but they I don't think they've done enough to try and figure out starting pitching for a long, long time now. All right, uh, Chris, this is for you. Uh, Stanton, in eight years in Miami, played 145 games three times. At least 145 games three times. Okay, so that means the, nothing to me. We're did he talking, get hit in the, hold on, did hold he get on, hit in the hold face on. in five seasons? Hold on, that does not mean anything to me because we're talking about a guy who was in a league without a designated hitter who they were probably protecting a little bit. Tell me how many games he missed due to injury. 
uh, out, well, you know what's outside 100, of 123, 116, 74, 119. You mean to tell me they were sitting them 50 times because just they to, didn't have a DH? Just to interject here, I think that what's very concerning if you're a Yankee fan should be Brian Cashman saying, we're going to keep him a DH because we need him to stay healthy. Um, if you're paying a guy that much money, yeah. You know, to be strictly a DH. And look, Stan, we saw it this postseason. Stan's a great player, right? Everybody Absolutely. knows it. But if you're paying him that much money to not be able to play the outfield moving forward because you are that concerned that he's going to get hurt and his body's going to break down, that's not great. It, it's just not great. So, um, oh, and it's yeah. creating a real big problem for, for roster flexibility, yeah. which we'll get on to. It's really on. handcuffing the um, team. So we touched on it briefly, but I do I, I want to yell some more about this. How astronomically <laughs> stupid was the decision to Devi for one inning, half bulk guy in game two? How astronomically stupid was it for the Yankees to do that? Not stupid. Stupid. Astronomically <laughs> stupid. Astronomically stupid. It was pretty stupid, guys, let me tell you. I, I mean, honestly, like I said before, I think that you know, when, when you get to the postseason, I think a lot of the numbers, that stuff, the trends, you kind of just have to throw out the window because you're playing the best of the best, number one. These aren't these aren't the Baltimore Orioles, you know, in, in July. You know, these aren't the Yankees the, in a series. This don't year. don't well, rip yeah. your favorite team, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, the, the Orioles are doing are going to be doing big things in coming years. Right. But, uh, you know, I, I think that but seriously, it's not you're not playing the Baltimore Orioles in July. You're not playing, you know, these bottom feeder teams where you can afford to take these numbers at work and, and then just transplant them against the playoffs and say, well, this should work here. Obviously the Yankees analytics go a lot further than a lot of people think. And I think that there's, there's numbers that a lot of us don't even think about Mm -hmm. uh, or can't even conceive right now when it comes to the decisions that they make. But I I also think that, like I mentioned before, if you're looking at a series and especially in a five game series where you don't have a lot of wiggle room, Right. You don't you don't have an extra game where you can say to yourself, you know what, maybe we can go Davy opener opener and then Jay Happ after that. You got to put your best guys out there in a short series. You you have to go. Uh, and, and that's why I said before, I think that you put Tanaka in that game, too, because then you give yourself three opportunities to win one game. And that's all you have to do. And obviously, it's Tanaka is not an automatic uh, in in that situation. He's not going to, you know, it's not an automatic 2-0 series win. But I would feel much better as a Yankee fan if I lost with Masahiro Tanaka on the mound in the game two than knowing I have to go to sleep at night saying, why the hell did we pull this strategy in this game? And and let them even the series. Joe, just, I, I never understood it. I said this. I said this last week. These two things. One, it wasn't like uh, the Yankees had a Randy Johnson in his prime coming out of the bullpen for the second inning and like making giving a jaw drop dropping uh, shocker that he was coming into the game. This is Jay Happ, who <laughs> I don't really. I'm not going to rip because the guy actually put together a good season for a shortened season for the Yankees. He started miserable. But he really sucks. Yeah, he does suck. I'm not saying he doesn't suck, but he kept it together at least. So I'm not ripping him in that sense. But like, come on now. We're talking about Jay Happ against an offense, against a team that this is their game. I mean, this is who they are. They're the cute ones here. We don't have to be cute. We're the New York Yankees. We just won three straight games in the postseason. And now we're going to get cute for Jay Happ. We're going to. That's that was my first thing I said. But the, the second thing was. I don't even friggin' remember, to be honest. Uh, what the hell were we just saying? 
This is where my brain is, by the way. My, I, you see behind me, I just moved. My brain is a mess. Um, as for, oh, as far as uh, Tanaka goes, we saw in game five where he would go to Britain a little early and he'd go to Chapman in, what, the seventh inning? Yeah, because you you got to lose that game with your best bullets. I mean, right, your strongest, highest caliber bullets at that point. You can't lose that game with Chapman sitting in in the bullpen, be, and then never use him. Right, the well, same thing uh, said yesterday. Yeah, the same thing applies for Tanaka in a series where what you're gonna get cute and then save him for game three for what? You just won three in a row. You just had a great performance by your ace. Bring out Tanaka, let him be playoff Tanaka, and keep using those bullets early and win as many games. Because like you said, even if they don't win that game, at least they go down as the Yankees. They don't go down as some team that's scared of who they're playing and and swinging the momentum so drastically in the Rays' favor that you just knew the Yankees weren't going to win it at that point. Yeah. And, and and again, going back to it, I think that, you know, Debbie, just given what everybody says, he's got a bright future, right? I mean, and you see it and you know his personality. And if you're telling me that Debbie couldn't go out there, and I know he had that rough, you know, he's a little rough for him, but he's probably all, you know, he's got the jitters. He's excited to be out there. He's maybe a little bit nervous. But if you're telling me he couldn't given you what Hap gave you in that game, it just doesn't I make sense given to me, you right? what Hap gave dude. It, it just—I <laughs> could have thrown—I could have thrown righty and and given you what Hap gave you in that game. That's that's you know it's uh, that's why I said I I just it doesn't make sense to me. Uh, you know it's too galaxy brain for me. It's too analytics forward. It's too let's get way too cute. That's just what it came off to me as. It was just cute. It was just getting cute for no reason. So but it's Jay. Yeah. Hap, you did right. this for Jay Hap. <laughs> this is what I can't get. Yeah. Joe, I never, I thought the game two was screwed from Jump Street because I didn't like the idea of going, uh, of saving Tanaka for game three. I agree with Chris 100%. You back up Cole with Tanaka. Those are your two best starting pitchers. You, you give yourself the best possible opportunity to win the first two games of this series. Then they said they're going to start Davey Garcia. Fine. You want to give the kid a shot? You take him out after an inning. You plan this whole frigging thing for Jay Happ to give you four or five innings. Did you, that's and Jay Happ wasn't even comfortable with it. He didn't even right. want to do it. And that's what gets me, right, is that and Jay Happ, after the game, and this is, this is a very, very messy breakup between yes. player and team because yes. you've seen it. You have seen it all year and, and Jay Happ's his press conferences and just the way, you know, the way that they handled his – his vesting option, it would have vested at ten starts and said he got nine. You know, it's it's all it's very messy. But, but he, you, I said this. Be, he was not happy. You agree with, with me? He allowed the Yankees to do that because he sucked. Yeah. If he had come out from the game, whatever the first game of the season was, and pitched well, they probably would have said we need him to make 10, 11 starts this year. But because he, it took him what four, five, six starts before he got on a decent roll. The Yankees are like. Why are we going to mess around and and, have, and be stuck with this guy next year? He allowed this to happen yeah. by being terrible. And, and, and I, he hasn't been the best. He hasn't been the best acquisition, and he hasn't been the best. Because you'll remember that the reason that Jay Happ was even brought over was because of his dominance over the Red Sox in AL East, right? Yeah, and, and then he comes over. Him. Yeah, and it yeah, didn't work out in the playoffs and, and, and his first start versus Red Sox. So, um, yeah, I mean, if you're – I couldn't imagine as a manager – putting a guy like Hap in that situation who was very clearly uncomfortable with it. He said as much after games. So uh, I, I don't, 
I don't understand it. I I don't think I will understand it. I wonder. I wish I could take a peek at what the what the Yankees computers say. Like why? Like the win probability added. Uh, what does this do for you as a team, as a staff? I know it's you've just, seen that weird. meme of Wolverine holding a picture and then they put whatever. <laughs> uh, did they, they I I have Jor in there? I'm very is, familiar. Is, is Boone holding a picture? Is that Boone as Wolverine <laughs> holding a picture of Jay Happ? Yes. Is that what it is? Or the I analytics nerds or no, whoever listen, is doing. Listen, let's be I don't fair. Think it's on. Let's be fair for a second, okay? I tweeted this out um, after everything. Okay, you got to look at this. Too, too many times people think there's only one true statement regarding a situation. That's not the case here. Okay, there's two truths to two truths to this decision. The first one is that, regardless of how comfortable he was, regardless of anything, Jay Happ is brought into that game to do a job, and Jay Happ is a professional Major League Baseball player who has had a lot of experience and has had an overall good career. Needs to come in and be effective and do his job, and he did not, and he failed his team and himself. And that's going to happen. I'm not saying that he has to be perfect, but that is a truth. The other truth is the Yankees decided to do this knowingly and, and being told that Jay Happ was not comfortable coming out of the bullpen. Whether, whether you want to sit here and say that Jay Happ, regardless, whether he's comfortable or not, is coming in to do a job, you're 100% right. But at the same time, the Yankees are still stupid for going with that decision when the guy's telling you he's not comfortable with it. I don't want to use that as any type of cop out for Jay Happ that he. No, it's not a cop out though. It's, it, it's more of I'm holding him accountable and I'm holding the Yankees accountable. Here. I'm holding the Yankees I, accountable just for going to Jay Happ in the first place. It doesn't matter whether he was comfortable with it or not. It was wrong to okay. do it because Jay Happ okay. was pitching. Okay. You know, I'll, I'll say this though: if you're the Yankees, and and I understand, and I already have an idea what the answer is going to be, but if you're the Yankees, why wouldn't you then just start Jay Happ? And putting Garcia after him. I would have had a lot less I, of a problem yes, with that. Yes, of course. A lot less right. Of a problem. And and you know and and that's the other part of it. And I understand that they wanted to flip the flip the Rays lineup or whatever. But I also think that, and you're seeing in the ALCS that the Yankees gave the Rays a little bit too much respect to their lineup. Like they have very listen. The Rays are are they have some very good. Austin Meadows is great. Um, they have very good young players, right? But you can't go into a series versus the Rays and say, we're not going to let their offense beat us. That doesn't make sense, right? Because we know what the Rays do. The Rays will pitch out, pitch you. They will out bullpen you. They will be unorthodox in the way that they approach their pitching and they'll get a few timely hits here and there. And they'll you catch can't the go, ball. Yeah. And they'll catch the ball and they play excellent defense. So uh, I, I don't understand why or where this fear came from and that like, we have to worry about what way they're going to line their guys. Joe, it's, it's very un-Yankee like. I got to, I got to back up your point here because you are a thousand percent correct here. I said this uh, before the series started that the Yankees throughout this whole season, they played the race 10 times outside of one loss where they lost 10 to five. It did not come down to, to the Rays scoring a, a bunch of runs, out of all of those, t out of all of the eight losses, my minus that one with Montgomery, out of the seven other ones, the Yankees did not lose any game by more than three runs, and most of them, the Yankees only scored two runs, three runs, no runs, one run. Mm -hmm. It was like the offense didn't show up. It wasn't that the Rays were killing our pitching. 
So you can't go into that game scared at that point. And look what the Yankee offense did. I'm sorry, you're in game two against a division rival now. Uh, in the ALDS, after coming off of three dominant wins, you put up five runs, you should, you should, you should be winning that ball game. I'm not saying five runs is groundbreaking, but when you're the New York Yankees doing what you've done to that point, five runs should be enough. And it, and it wasn't by any, at least, at least five runs should have you tied late in the game. You shouldn't be crawling from behind scoring five runs in a postseason game. And that all came down to J-Hap. Then the, the Yankees trying to be cute and J-Hap just not being the guy to, to put it all together. That's about right. You know, I think that that, that sums it up. I there and again, there's everything requires context. So you can look a million different ways. I don't think that there's, you know, if you were to put me back in that week, I'm going to say the same thing over and over again. I, it just doesn't make sense for Tanaka to, to be starting game three. It doesn't make sense for them to, to back up Garcia after one inning with J-Hap. Just none of it really makes sense. I, I wonder what the numbers say. Uh, I don't think you can put it on Boone. I don't think you can put it solely on Boone. I don't think you can put it solely on Cashman. How many times do we hear it's a collaborative effort? And if you're a manager, you want as much information as, as you can possibly get. I think anybody that works in any job anywhere, you want as much information as you can possibly get so you can do the best job that you can possibly do. Sure, managers require a lot of feel. You see it with Dusty Baker keeping Zach Greinke in the game the other day. Um, you see it You see it all the time, especially in the postseason with managers going with their gut a little bit more often in recent years. But um, I'm going to say, which year was it? 20. 2018, 2017, when uh, A.J. Hinch left Brad Peacock in the game for like three innings. And everybody was like, what the hell is A.J. Hinch doing? There's no analytic that says this. And A.J. Hinch said, I had a feeling. And I let him in there because yeah. he was throwing the ball well. So uh, I don't really think you can put it on any one person. You can't put it on any, you know, one analytic. It's a collaborative thing. If that's what baseball teams want to live and die by now is collaboration, then you get rid of one, you have to get rid of everybody. Well, you said you said the key word there: collaboration, collaborative effort. Uh, we're gonna do our annual keep them dumpums uh, for the Yankees starting next week. Aaron Boone is uh, gonna be somebody that we dissect. But while we have you here, uh, we're gonna ask you this. Uh, you know, Chris and I kind of went back and forth on this. You know, he's blaming Boone. I'm blaming the Cashman and the nerds, as I like to call them. Hold on. Um, Hold on. <laughs> I'm blaming I'm Boone because Boone came out and said You don't even know, first of all, you oh, don't even know geez. where I'm going here So here let me go. finish okay, you my go. segue into the question You go, stupid because We all know that the however many nerds there are There might be the seven dwarfs, you know, the nine of them are sitting in a room somewhere Discussing all this But Boone's at the forefront of it He's the one that's repeatedly time and time again said this was ultimately my decision. I'm the one that came up, you know, I'm the one that f said Davey for one to hap me, me, me. He's the one saying it. So in fairness, if you want to blame somebody for the decision, you have to put it on cat on Boone's feet. He's the one that wants to take the blame for it, even though I think we all know he didn't solely make this decision that Cashman and his goons were in on it as well. Knowing that, and knowing now that we're year three into the Boone experiment and the Yankees have not gotten as far as they got with Girardi with a similar ball club, is it time to move on from Aaron Boone? We know the Yankees aren't, but in your opinion, is it time to move on from Aaron Boone? No. No, I don't, I don't think he can. You know, he's a guy that... 
won 100 games in back-to-back years. I mean, he's navigated through through massive amounts of injuries and, and key injuries to key positions, and he did it again this year. And I know the Yankees were very, very streaky this year, but his ability to kind of navigate the Luis Severino, they, I think that he deserves a lot of credit for that. And I think he's a very very level-headed guy. He's good for you know a good quote or two here and there. He very clearly cares about his guys. He backs his guys. He's not afraid to get himself thrown out of a ball game. And I think that all that stuff all matters. Now, if it gets to a point where Brian Cashman, and then this is something to watch over the next few years, where Brian Cashman is handing Boone all this information and Boone is is going with his gut a little more often and the Yankees start losing games at that point or, or more than they are projected to lose, maybe Boone will start to lose them a game here or there. Then you could start asking the questions. I think that in a 60-game season, too, uh, circumstances were so weird this year. Obviously, the Yankees had a great team on paper, and I don't think you can pin a playoff loss on the manager. I just don't think I don't see how it's fair, you know. So, um, I, I don't know. I, I don't move on from him. I, the, a manager's job is still very imp- is is important. I know a lot of people in the media, the New York sports talk media, um, will not put any kind of emphasis on the manager position whatsoever. And it's all collaborative. It's all Brian Cashman pulling the strings. I don't buy that either. Like I mentioned before, I think when you when you have a job and you're doing a job, me as a sports writer, I want every stat available to me so I can make my argument or so I can put context to something. Uh, and I think Major League Baseball managers are the same way. They're going to want that information at their hands. How they choose to deploy that information, that's on them. And and I understand Boone is taking a lot of flack for that. But if Cashman's saying it's all collaborative, it's all an organizational decision um, before an ALDS game too, I don't see how you can strictly put that all on Aaron Boone. Well, let me ask you this, though. Um, with the Hap decision, we know that Boone is here. Boone got this job because he believes in the analytics. He believes in the the vision that Brian Cashman has for running a baseball team. We know that's why he got the job. But they're sitting in a room, you know, they're at the round table, you know, discussing game two, and Cashman, or one of the goons, says, hey, how about Davey for one, Hap for four, and Boone's like, what are you, fucking stupid? <laughs> is, he, is he allowed to – but honestly, is he allowed to say that? Can he – can he really be the guy? Is he allowed to step up and be like, no, absolutely not. Is is that something that he has the power to do as manager? I'm sure, I'm sure he does. But, you know, if let's say, Christian, I go to you and I give you a piece of paper and it says two plus two equals four. Are you going to disagree with that? No, I'm not. But I'm also if you're going to say uh, J Happ equals win, I'm going to be like, <laughs> right. <laughs> but right, right. <laughs> but that's, that's the thing. And that's what we're talking about here. If, if the analytics department, if their computers, if their calculators spit out a certain number, they say, listen, we feel extremely confident that if you put J Happ out there, um, then he's going to give you, you know, four innings of two run baseball. He's going to walk a few guys, going to give up some hits, but he's going to give you the best opportunity. And Aaron Boone says, you know what, if that's what the numbers say, how can I argue with that? But again, I think a lot of that is, is feel too. And and I'm sure Boone has the power to say, eh, you know, I, I'm not necessarily down with that. But um, if, if he feels comfortable, if he feels confident in those numbers, I don't see how you can put a lot of blame on him. Um, again, baseball is, is not, you know, I, simp- I way oversimplified it in two plus two equals four, right? But I, I think that when you have a manager who believes in the numbers like Aaron Boone clearly does, 
he's going to be more inclined to lean that way than to use his gut or, or to really start a fracas in, in that room before game two to try and discuss what they're, what they're going to do. I'd start a fracas if you're telling me to watch <laughs> Jay Happ. I'll tell you. Well, that. listen, I, we <laughs> joked about this last week, but I was like, you know, it probably did come down to like exactly the situation that you're talking about here where they're all in a room and Cashman and, and Boone, they've done this for three years now where they, I'm sure they do this before every big game where they're looking at situations like this. And, and this was one that was a little out, out of the box, but they're looking at it and they, and they do come up to some type of an agreement, but I'm sure Cashman leaves that meeting and says, look, Aaron, this is your team right now. Um, if you decide against this, you know, that's, that's, a, you're the manager, but just know that if you do decide against it and you lose, you might be in the hot seat, you we'll know, find you in, the, in, we'll in find so you many words, yeah, right. right. In so many <laughs> words, it just seems like it comes down to Aaron Boone, almost covering his own ass in this sense of like, look, the GM's on board here. The president's on board. Everyone's on board. Why put? Why sacrifice myself? It makes me feel a lot here? better that Randy Levine's on board. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> you got to make sure Randy Levine's on board. Uh, you gotta, you gotta sense that like there's only so there's only so much that Boone's gonna sacrifice at this point if the numbers are in line, if everyone else is in line. What is Boone? You're asking yourself, what does Boone have to lose if he just goes with? The only thing he has to lose at that point is is the game, not his job, not the well being of his family, not the not anything else, but that game because he's going with the general consensus here. Could Boone have made a different decision? Probably, probably. But guess what? If that different decision didn't work, which we don't know if it would have anyway, his ass is more liable at that point. Right, and that's that's the danger with baseball in twenty twenty is like. That's why I said there's enough blame for everybody. If Cashman and, and baseball, they want to say, you know, these decisions are collaborative. These are organizational decisions. These are things that we discussed before the game uh, and we come to an agreement on, then I don't see how you can put that on the manager. Now, now if, if you're saying that, you know, that if Cashman says, well, my strategy was to go for, it's just to use Davy Garcia for, you know, as long as he could. And then, you know, we decide after that, but Aaron Boone decided, you know, then it's a different discussion, but if, if you're going out after a game and Cashman said in his, in his postseason press conference the other day, you know, these are all collaborative decisions. So there's no real way of knowing who gets the blame. I think you have to go back and you say, oh, well, if the analytics aren't lining up, then what analytics are you using? If you're getting beat by a team like the Rays who, you know, with their X million dollar payroll against the 200 plus million dollar payroll in the Yankees, but these guys are beating us regularly all year, then what analytics are they using that we're not, that they're succeeding and we're not? So, um, but it's much sexier to just to say, you know, it's the manager's fault, let's fire the manager, than say the analytics aren't working. So um, it, it's really, it's it's tough to say. I don't I don't get rid of Aaron Boone. I think he's done so many good things for this team, really. Um, I, there's, there's, there's a baseball guy in there, like in his heart. I think that He's he's a guy that he I don't think he wants to rely solely on the numbers, but he also understands that the numbers are going to win you a lot of games if you stick with certain things. I agree with well, you. I'll Joe. tell you what I did, I I don't I haven't seen any contract information on Boone, which is kind of weird. But I got to think he's probably a lame duck going into twenty twenty one. Maybe he just manages with his balls out this year, knowing that hey, I don't yeah. have a contract for twenty twenty two, and just see and sees what happens. Yeah, maybe. Right? Hey, listen, it it. 
I think that Aaron Boone is the man for this job. Has he? Has it been a little concerning that it seems like, it seems like in the postseason he's gotten in his own way? Yes, to me, because I do think he's that great of a manager. And and whether it's analytics or not, I think Aaron Boone creates a culture in this clubhouse that really works for this team over the stretch of 162 games, which you need to start carrying into the postseason. And I feel like the Yankees, time and time again, and this isn't on, just on Boone, I feel like they they tense up and they lose their identity in the postseason. And, and, and we saw it happen again this year, and it was so frustrating I, because of how dominant they were. Be, because I, I just... I think guys like Posada and Jeter and Rivera, those guys had ice water in their veins. Dude. And they handled the pressure 100%. maybe a lot differently than these guys. We, like, maybe, I don't, you know, maybe Judge, Glaber had a great postseason. He hit around 400. But maybe these guys that are leader, leading this team now, they don't have that same ice water in their veins because you see the savages are there until September 30th. October 1st rolls around. Then they they don't seem to be there anymore. Why? You yeah, and, and I gotta say, like I was thinking about it, just on a Derek Jeter level, I saw they did something after the game the other night. They did they were having like some special on on the Yankees and in the two thousand one World Series, the two thousand World Series, the Subway Series, um, and and they showed Jeter walking through the tunnel and hitting this hitting the you know I thank the Lord for whatever. Uh, sign going out, and I'm like, hey God, thanks for whatever. <laughs> thank you for whatever, and I play for the Yankees. Thank and, the good Lord for making me, me a Yankee. Yankee. Yeah, 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 I know. Yeah. I, I just didn't feel like saying it all. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. You know, he's hitting that, and I'm going in my head, I'm going, will the Yankees win a World Series without this guy? I mean, was, was were guys like Derek Jeter that important? And I don't want to discredit guys like Judge and Stanton, who I think are leaders of this team, but may, I mean, Maybe it's maybe it has something to do with the injuries. Maybe these guys feel like they can't lead the team the same way because they don't have the right to to put things on certain people when they're not showing up every single day and and they're getting injured. Maybe it's creating a culture where they feel like they can't hold other players accountable because they're not being held accountable for most of the season by being injured. I mean, maybe it comes down to that. I don't know. That's all speculation, obviously. But there's something there. There's something missing from this team that that us as Yankee fans are used to. And you know what? You want to take it all the way back? Yeah, they did win in 2009. But guess what? Before that, they hadn't won since 2000. And 2000. Yeah, they won a couple pennants after that. But, I mean, we're talking about big stretches here where us Yankee fans who grew up in the late 80s, early 90s, whatever, we're not used to it. And, and something's got to change at this point. I think that, you know, for me, on the outs- again, on the outside looking in, I think once you get to October, you just got to let the guys play. And and I think that when I look at game five specifically, and Tyler Glasnow is on two days of rest, and these guys are out there swinging everything. I think he had an eight-pinch first inning. Yep, he um, did. Not pinch first inning. He did because I, the first I actually I cursed out loud that you're letting a guy on two days rest get off on eight pitches in the first inning. Right. And right. And, and I 40. Th- 
Right, and that's very un-Yankee-like when you look at just the players that they they work at bats. CJ works at bats. Uh, Aaron Hicks works at these guys. These guys all work at bats. So I don't know if the numbers say you know go out there and attack this guy early or what. But you saw the glass now all game. He didn't have his control. He just didn't have it. You know, he guts his way through that start and. Uh, I, I don't know if that's numbers getting in the way. I don't know if someone in, in the Yankees front office or if Aaron Boone has to say, listen, guys, forget the numbers, forget, you know, forget your hitters meetings for hit, forget your heat charts. Just go out there and play baseball, play your game. I think that I really do think that that's part of it. I, I think that there's too much thinking happening at the plate sometimes, but um, yeah, I don't know what the answer is, but I do think postseason baseball is a much different animal than regular season baseball. You've seen with the Yankees for a few years now, and, and I don't know where or what the change is in, in the immediate future. Well, hold, well, you know, a lot of Yankee fans, I would have to think this is probably polling at 98%, and I would like to know what's wrong with the other 2% of fans uh, that won't change in uh, 2020. Is that is that uh, DJ LeMayu will still be a part of this <laughs> ball club. The way you hear Boone and Cashman speak of him in their post-game, uh, in their post-whatever, season-ending press conferences, is that they're almost still counting him as part of his team in 2021. So you know they're going to make a big effort to keep him. As you you were saying, you know, letting numbers get in the way. Will numbers ultimately get in the way of signing DJ LeMayu? Where's your cap on the type of contract you're going to give DJ LeMayu. And when do you say, you know what, at his age for what he brings, even as great as it is, what, how, when do I say, all right, I got to walk away from this. I think the number that keeps coming back to my, to my brain that seems reasonable for both sides is four years, $80 million. Um, I think that makes sense for both sides. I, when you look at baseball guys, and this is, this is interesting to me. This is tremendously so I spoke to Jeff McNeil last Creed, year. Creed doesn't like that. He thinks it's too much. <laughs> I spoke to Jeff McNeil old. last my, year. My sister-in-law I, is here, so that's what he sees. All right, come on, go. Go downstairs. Hey. I, spoke, I spoke to Jeff McNeil about this last year, and he put it – So it was, it was hilarious to me. He said, contact baseball is a new market inefficiency, right? And that all of a sudden, everybody is looking at contact baseball and saying – wow, putting bat on ball makes sense. And this actually works. And guys who have elite contact skills are the ones that are actually producing a lot, right? And listen, that's not easy. And that's not easy to find. But DJ LeMay, is among the best of them, right? He was on a, he was on a pace of, of a seven or eight win season, uh, wins above replacement this year. Uh, he plays elite defense. He, he makes uh, elite contact at the plate. He's worked pitchers a lot more now than when he was with Colorado. Um, everything about this guy is what you want a baseball player in 2020 and 2021 to be. So if I'm the Yankees, I say four years, given he's, what, 32 years old now, he's going to be making $20 million a year. He has power. He's got a little bit of power. Four years, $80 million. And he's learned how to to stroke it to right field in that stadium. He right. really has. And, and I think that – and I think all of that, you know, I don't know if that's going to get it done, but – um, if you're going to devote that kind of money to a player like LeMahieu, I think it's worth it because he's not a guy that you have to worry, really worry about later in his career saying, you know what, this his power is gone, so he's a worthless player. 
Um, you know, maybe the contact rate drops off a little bit, but you're still telling me he's going to be a 280, 290 hitter when he's 35, 36 years old. You take that. You really do. So uh, I, I do what I can to bring him back. I think around $20 million a year is, is makes sense for the for the caliber of player that he's turned into these last You're not pushing that year. AAV up to 25. You don't think that, uh, that's too, you think that's too much for him? I, I think that's a little rich. I, I do because if you, I mean, they're going to find at bats for him. And I don't think that's that's finding at bats for him won't be a problem because you've seen in years past, but are you going to stick him at second base every day? Are you going to stick him there? Are you just going to use him to roam around the infield? Like what was the original play? So if you're not saying, you know what, DJ, you are everyday second baseman next year. Um, I don't understand, you know, where you really get your money out of at that point. So um, giving him 20 million, you know, you could bump it up to 25, 100 if you really wanted to, if, if you feel that comfortable, but how is that going to hamstring what these this team will be able to spend moving forward? I think is part of it. So yeah, uh, giving him giving him twenty million, I think is is fair for everybody, especially coming off a of pandemic a pandemic year too, where the Yankees are already saying, you know, we lost a ton of money. So every team, I mean, uh, every I team, no one wants. Yeah, it. no, we don't want to hear it. But you know what? A lot of teams out there, we thought it, we thought the market was getting uh, was shrinking for free agents over the last few years. It's going to be, I mean, unless you're a well above average player right now, you're not getting signed this year. I'm sorry. There's going to be a lot more guys that slip through the cracks because too many teams lost too much money. And I want to say the qualifying offer this year is $19 million too, or around like 18.9, something like that. So, um, I mean, obviously you're not going that much higher than qualifying offer, but at the same time, I, you know, I don't know how much money makes sense for DJ. If you don't stick them in one spot on the infield, if you want to say, listen, you're going to be our second baseman to find, you're going to be, you find what to do with Luke Voigt and you move Luke Voigt. Maybe, I don't know. Um, and you stick him in first base, you say, fine. But I just don't know for $25 million is super, you know, on its definition, a super utility guy would be worth it to spend that money on. Right. Yeah, two things before we move on to something else, unless Chris wants to interject. I just want – I we don't have to go on on the. I just wanted to quickly say, the more I think about the moving Luke Voigt and putting DJ at first, it kind of – it bothers me because I thought about it on, on a surface level last week, and, and I was like, you know what? It, I get where people are coming from. His value is through the roof. You probably get something pretty good for Luke Voigt right now, and you really don't know what kind of production you're going to get out of him moving forward for the next handful of years. Might not be a bad move, but for me, it's like, damn, what did the Yankees, what were the Yankees, what was the Yankees' biggest downfall this year outside of streaky offense? And it was their defense. I mean, I don't, I, I agree. I mean, I think Torres is a better second baseman. I don't know if he can take that to the next level at shortstop and whatever, but I sure as hell don't want to put DJ LeMayu outside of anywhere but second base because he, uh, second or third, because he's a, Gold glove infielder. And yes, will he get the job done at first base? Absolutely. But now I'm taking a defense that's already vulnerable. And I'm taking the the one guy who's a gold glover out there that I'm confident at any ball hit to him in those two positions, I'm going to just throw him at first where he's really not as good as he would be at second or third. To but me, he's probably still their best defensive first base. Yes, probably. But you know what? It just doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make enough sense to me. Yeah, I think that's about right. I, I think that's more of a question, though, like, what do you do with Glaber? Because when you look at Glaber's advanced metrics, and, and listen, 
a short season defensive metrics is are kind of wishy-washy. You can't really make a whole lot of sense of it, but he was terrible at short this year. Terrible. Um, he was, he was very, very bad. Like I test tells you that the advanced, the advanced stats tell you that over a full season, he was actually, you know, if you want to use defensive run saves over a full season, he was going to be worse at shortstop than Miguel Andujar was at third base mm. in his rookie year. That's that's how bad that's he bad. was at shortstop this year. So, um, and a lot of it is, you know, he might have a nice glove, but he probably just doesn't have the range to get, you know, to, to play shortstop. So, do you feel more comfortable moving forward, moving Glaber to second base, where you know you won't run his body down as much? Um, you know, then you move DJ to, to first, and you figure it out what you do with shortstop moving forward. Do you make a trade for a guy? I don't know. But, you know, some of it is like, what do you also do with Glaber? Because if this team believes yeah. that Glaber is, is going to be even better in following years, maybe not defensively, but, you know, you stick him in his less defensive laps prone yeah. position. Yeah, and, and Joe, you can would even you make the argument. consider moving Glaber Torres? Yes. No, no, no. You would. No. Yeah. No. Listen, Joe. Oh, you're really going to get <laughs> Joe. Actually, you know what, Joe? You, I don't think you will get a lot of hate mail because I think a lot of Yankee fans no, yeah. are on board with the idea of moving Glaber Torres. But Joe, because, because they've seen him not be able to do something in 40 games that he played at shortstop this year. So obviously you can't do it. Joe, listen, you're talking about a guy who I think is going to be a superstar. You're talking about a guy who in his few years, couple years in the postseason, has really put up some great numbers. Is it his fault that the Yankees are moving him to shortstop now when they really felt more comfortable with him at second and came out and said that themselves? I mean, after they moved him I'm to not gonna, second listen, base when I, he came up as a shortstop. Yeah, so listen, they, I listen. I'm the not, yo-yo with him. I'm not going to blame the player here for something the, just because the Yankees don't have anywhere to put him. Um, I think the Yankees need to maybe maybe I'm going to contradict myself now and say if it means keeping Glaber Torres and not making him a liability and having to move DJ to first and him to second, I'm willing to do that. But you can make the argument that in game five, the Yankees have a much better chance of winning if it weren't for Glaber Torres at shortstop. I mean, he, I don't know how many pitches were extended for Garrett Cole at that point after he made that terrible error. Um Am I wrong in saying this? What inning was that? I don't remember the inning yet, but he did. But I mean, you might you might get another inning, another strong inning out of Cole, where it pushes that bullpen back again. I'm not saying he's to blame. I'm just saying that that game might play out a little differently if you have a competent shortstop out there, which he just clearly is not at this point. Hello, Mister Mister Mike Chernoff, (laughs) general manager of the Cleveland Indians. Oh, how you doing, Mike? Listen. Um, let, let's talk Francisco Lindor, right? Let's, let's see, you know, you know, he's been on, I know he's been Tyler on, Wade. Start uh, with Tyler Wade. Uh, <laughs> all right. So, Will so, you take Gary uh, and Clint? All right, so Glaber, we're starting with Glaber, huh? Listen, I, I, I think that if you have an opportunity to, to trade for a bona fide shortstop like Francisco Lindor, then I wouldn't like Glaber getting away. I, just, I wouldn't. And I understand mm. you have to pay Lindor, but at the same time, I think that, you know, given what, what he's done, given what his age and, you know, he's kind of become like a cult hero, given, you know, his production, like I'm not diminishing what he's done as, as an offense player, but I think he's become a bit overrated as a Yankee. Um, Glaber Torres, that is, where like the fans, like they're clearly clinging to him, but if he can net you, look at the way Corey Seager played this year. If he can net you a Seager or a Lindor back in a trade, if he's the starting point, you got to listen to it. You have to listen to then it. Then Joe, so. then Joe, the only way I'm on board with this, 
is the Yankees better win me a World Series then? Like if you're right. gonna if you're gonna take the window that is already slowly shutting and really kind of push it down to where you get you're getting a little breeze through it here, you better win me a World there's, Series over the next two years. Like yeah, you have to, agent uh, you have after to. the season. So you're gonna have to throw him what three hundred million dollars to make right. a yeah. trade worth it. Yeah, you have to. You, you you're have not gonna to win. trade Glaber Torres for Lindor. And say, hey, Lindor, you can walk out the door at the end of the year. Yeah, no. Right. Not and, I, and I understand that. But at the, at the is is the defense at that point, you know, is that the breaking point for you, for Glaber Torres? Is, is the defense, does it get to the point where, you know, this guy's so bad defensively where it's costing you? You know, and I think that's what it comes down to because the Yankees have enough guys who can hit. Um, and then we haven't seen a Yankee defense, this infield defense, this bad for a long time. So... Um, I, I don't know what what exactly they're going to do uh, moving forward with Glaber. I do I do listen to trade talks if people call asking about him, but I don't know. I don't think he's going to go anywhere. But I certainly listen if if if, if certain teams call up uh, wanting to talk Glaber for you know shortstop or starting pitching. All right, final point on DJ here because you said that you're right at four for eighty. I'm more willing to go for about four for a hundred, uh, maybe even throwing an option year for a fifth year there. Is there a team, because that guy Rye's really worried about this, is there a team out there that's just going to say, screw it, I need DJ LeMayu, I'm going to blow the Yankees out of the water with an offer? Because you can see that there's a lot of mutual interest on staying here, both on the Yankee side and LeMayu side. Is there a team out there, say, you know, as Evan Roberts liked to put it, Stevie Cohen's sexy money, like to make <laughs> a big splash out there to steal a guy from the Yankees, is there somebody out there that DJ LeMay is going to get an offer from another team that he says, I can't turn this down? You know, I, I look around Major League Baseball, and it's so hard to see where that's coming from. Um, it, honestly, it just feels like they're a pairing that's going to last. Uh, I don't see anybody else, especially in this market with the, with the pandemic and COVID and everything happening. I don't see a team trying to outbid the Yankees there for DJ. I don't see where that's where that's going to happen, to be honest with you. Uh, um do the Dodger with the Dodgers entertain something like that? I understand, you know, Gavin Lux second base, and they have they have plenty of infield help on on the West Coast. It makes sense in their farm system, um, but I don't see any team that's willing to compete right now that are going to go out of their way to trade for or to to sign DJ. It just doesn't it doesn't make a lot of sense. I don't see where his market's at, especially when you see that the value that DJ's given the Yankees over the last few years, I don't think they're willing to be outbid on it either. And then they don't have guys like DJ who make contact. A lot of their guys strike out a lot. And and I do think that striking out, you, you look at the postseason, man, teams that get bad on ball are the ones that are succeeding. The guys that are, that are strike, the teams that are striking out a lot aren't succeeding in the playoffs. So I think the Yankees need that. And I think they're, they won't be, uh, they won't be outbid when it comes to LeMahieu. All right, let's wind this down here. We'll uh, we got a couple of guys that we just want like quick yes or no's on, but we'll get to that in a, in a minute. Um, I posted this on Twitter just to see what the fans would say. Uh, I want to get your take on it. Give me the twenty twenty. Fill out the Yankees twenty twenty run rotate. Easy for me to say. The Yankees twenty twenty one rotation behind Garrett Cole. Oh, all right. So you have Cole at the top. At some point, Severino's going to come back. I know he won't be on the opening day roster, but they're saying June or July, right? So I'm going to count him as one. 
Jordan Montgomery is going to be in there at the bottom of the rotation. I think that he's, he's shown you something. He's very inconsistent, but he's a big lefty. He's, he's kind of what you want is that fifth or fourth starter, the back end of a rotation. Maybe you could spot him in a little bit earlier, too, if you want to break up some righties. That's, this is where it gets interesting, right? Do you re-sign Tanaka? I, I think I, I'm not sure if they're willing to. Um, you haven't really heard a lot. I think that they need to, just given the way that he's performing in the postseason in years past. And you know what you're getting from Tanaka, even if his regular seasons aren't great, depending on what he's going to be asking for. I think that that's something you do. And then the fifth spot or, or the fourth spot in the rotation would probably go to to, to a Devi Garcia. I think that you just got to get, excuse me, you just got to give this kid the ball and let him work. I, I, I think I he's got see, the mental makeup to really be successful in this league. Right, I do. Right. And, and I, you see that and you see that when he takes them out, he looks like he's in charge when he's out there. You know, it's kind of hard to, you can't really quantify that, but he looks like he's in control when he's out on the mound. Joe, how tall are you? I am six feet. You're six feet tall. That's pretty good. Uh, yeah. How tall are you? And it'd Christian? be like Andre the Giant standing over Hornswoggle. Hold on. How tall are you, Christian? Five eight, maybe. Okay, I'm like five eight, five nine, right? Even at six feet, with how big these guys. Imagine just I'm I'm five eight, five nine. I couldn't imagine standing in the center of a mound at 21 years old. Yeah, okay. There's no stands. There's no crowd in the stands, but to not only be the tiniest guy in the field, unless you're playing on the Astros. Um, but to be the youngest by far and to have the, the game in your hands, that takes a lot, man. That, mm-hmm. and, to, and to get as far as he has, you got to have some type, something special inside that, that you've been this successful. To me, I think Davey Garcia has, has a lot to prove, obviously, but he's proven enough for me where I can't justify not giving him that chance at this point. Right. Absolutely. And I think that the guy that's most interesting to me this offseason is Clark Schmidt because he came on fast and, and the team seems to really like him. You know, obviously former first round pick, he's got really good stuff. He's another guy that looks like he's got the moxie when he's out there. He just has the mental makeup and the attitude. Oh, but so. he's ruined Joe because he got thrown into the bases loaded situation against. <laughs> oh, right. He's right. Ruined. <laughs> ruined. You know, the, the baseball and we, we all know this and I know it's a little bit different for a pitcher than a hitter, but baseball is a game built around a failure. Right. So Absolutely. If, if he's, if he's not going to, if he can't get over that and I understand that they're Yankee fans that, will totally unironically so believe that. Yeah. <laughs> and they will believe that. Right. And, and, and without a hint of sarcasm in their hearts, bless their hearts. Um, you know, I, I just, he's a guy that, that really intrigues me too. Cause he looks like yeah. he could be the real deal as well. So it's going to be interesting. They definitely have options. They have options. I don't think Paxton's coming back. I don't, I don't think they'll resign him. I think that Paxton's almost a lock for Toronto. It makes too much sense. They need the arms up there. He gets to go back to Canada. Uh, they, we've seen in years past. He's sharpshooters and maple syrup, right? That's it, baby. <laughs> he's got the he's got the maple leaf tattoo and everything. So yeah. you know, I think that does make sense. They, we've seen in years past they're not afraid to spend money either. So um, and Tanaka is the question mark. I do think that they're going to make an overture too to try and bring him back. I don't think he's a lock though. To come back next year. Yeah, Joe, we got to so, be honest here. We talked about this last week. Tanaka, for me, will go down as one of my favorite Yankees of, of you know, of just being a fan my whole life. I mean, we're, we said this last week again. We're talking about a guy where it's extremely difficult for a player who has a language barrier to really connect with fans. I think we've seen that a lot with Gary Sanchez where 
not only do people have this narrative that he's lazy and everything, which may be true, but on top of that, we're not connecting with him, uh, you know, through his own voice. And, and sometimes that can make it tough. In Tanaka, a guy who, yes, speaks English, but not really to the fans. We've always heard him through his translator. I've connected with him completely. I know exactly who Masahiro Tanaka is. The guy makes me laugh. He make, he pumps me up. He does everything. We're talking about a guy who I will truly miss, but at the same time have to tell you that I just don't see the value in him anymore because of his... Because if he's for, not going to be playoff yeah, Tanaka. If he's not going to be playoff Tanaka, which he had to prove to me this year, I'm sorry. Um, I don't know if I'm going out there and spending that money on him anymore. Right. And, you know, and the, the word, and I don't like using, you know, such generic terms for baseball guys, but he's a gamer. Right? He is. That, no, and, he and is. He's a that, gamer. He's, he's the definition of it. When he when he takes a mound, and you see it, you saw it last year, when he takes a mound, he doesn't have his A-plus splitter, and he's going to find a way to grit through that game. 100%. He's going to try and figure it out. And and I think that's admirable, but when you're trying to win a World Series, you can't afford to play these games with guys that are still trying to figure it out. You know, and especially in the playoffs. So, um, I you appreciate what Tanaka's done in the playoffs. You maybe you float him a contract offer, see if he bites on the lower end. But I don't see if if the Yankees would value him as much moving forward with two of the young arms that they have moving forward uh, in the rotation. Well, it's like we've been saying. It's like in 2018, 2019, you said, well, CeCe's okay if he's your fifth starter, but then he ended up being your third starter. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's like Jay Happ is this year, Jay Happ's okay if he's your fifth starter. He ended up being this number two starter. Then and now, like in 2021, you'll say, Tanaka would be fine if we leave him as number five. He's got to stay to number five. So basically, what what I'm getting out of what you're saying here is you expect a lot of, in, and including Tanaka as an internal option, even though he's a free agent now, you're saying the Yankees are going to fill out this rotation internally in 2021. I don't so see, you, you don't I don't really see them see, spending money. Yeah. So even if Trevor Bowers true to his word that he wants to just take a bunch of one year deals, you don't see the Yankees dipping in their toe in that pool. I don't see it. I, I, I don't, I don't, just from the way that they've been talking in their press conferences, it sounds like a very don't expect, don't expect much from us this winter, kind of kind of feel. Um, you know, the the fact that Hal Steinbrenner comes out and he says the Yankees have lost more money than any other team. All right, then my that's hot dog setting, better cost a dollar fifty next year. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the thing, right? That's you don't say that unprovoked. You don't say that without trying to set the table a little bit, right? And we've seen the Yankees do that in years past. We've seen it both ways. You see them say, hey, well, we're going to go out there and we're going to see it's available and we're going to try and spend money. And we've also seen you, well, you know, we made the move for Garrett Cole and we expected to win and it just didn't work out. So um, I don't I don't see them spending money. And it's going to be tough because unless they, they sign guys to like back-end deals, you know, free agents, lower-end guys, they're going to go into a season where you're probably going to have Garcia and Schmidt in the roster is maybe five or six rotation spot guys, right? Teams that are trying to win the World Series usually don't have that much inexperience in the rotation, it, unless they you have like wonderkins there. So I'm sorry with uh, Severino being hurt, and I can't expect anything out of him this year because he, like you said, June, July, and how long is it going to take him to really get on track? That's fair. Garrett Cole, totally fair. Garrett Cole and four question marks is not a. It's barely a playoff rotation, right. let alone a world championship rotation. Yeah, I understand that. And then and that's totally fair. And I think that 
we've seen in years past the Yankees are willing Joe, to bank Joe, do you live on set of Fast and Furious? Jesus, is it that, is it that, you know what it is? Is I got my uh, so so I live close to like I'm at the nexus of like four major highways nice. where I live. So like it's sometimes these guys go by at like 1130 at night. Like it really is like fast and furious part nine. It's, it's ridiculous, <laughs> but I have my, I have my noise canceling headphones, so I couldn't, couldn't tell, but yeah, they're out there. They're there. I like these, it. these dudes are wild. I, these think dudes it, are wild. I think it adds a good element to the show. <laughs> All right. So let's, let's wrap up the show here. We'll do a couple quick hitters. Uh, what you think the futures are for the following players. Chris and I won't really interject much because these are all guys. Yeah. We're going to be talking about them this, here. So. We'll start with Miguel Andujar. Dangled in a trade. I don't see how he's on the team next year. What kind of return would you expect from Miguel Andujar? If you, you have to starting pitching, if there are guys to be had out there. Um, I think when you look at the DH potentially coming to the National League, that might open up his market a little bit more because the guy can't defend worth a lick. He just can't. Um, they tried him in left field. That was disastrous. He's not good enough to be a fourth outfielder. Um, and his his bat's going to be there. Uh, obviously, he had a rough go of it this year. I think his bat's going to play. But defensively, he just cannot figure it out. All right. How about Clint Frazier? Starting left fielder next year. And which brought me to the point earlier, uh, John Carl Stanton not being able to play left field, is that you have uh, you're going to have a log jam here, which is kind of brings to the next point point here is that you can't really do anything with Luke Foy. If you're going to keep him, he's going to have to play first base. You can't move him to the DH because Stanton can't play left field. You can't have Frazier play uh, BDH because he's got to play left field because of Stanton. So you can't go out there and say, you know, I'll shift some things around in the infield and bring in another guy. I thought you weren't going to interject. Well, you know, because I, I did want to get back to this point because Frazier, if he's going to be your starting left fielder, it's going to be because Stanton's got to be your DH, which, you know, the whole point of the DH, I thought was going to be an evolving thing where it's going to be like a, a revolving door. But the Yankees are back to the old school way of having, you know, a David Ortiz type be your DH, which kind of hamstrings you a little bit. No, that's totally fair. And and. Um, and they said as much, I mean, they said it the other day where they need to keep staying healthy. And when you're paying him as much money as, as he's making, and you can see that you see the type of player that he is, then you have to keep him on the field, right? Or else it's just a sunk cost in some way. So, uh, I do see Frazier as, as a starting left fielder any next year. I don't see how Brett Gardner comes back, um, at yeah, $10 million. Brett Gardner was the next, uh, one that we were going to ask. He's the last remaining player, the last world championship team. Uh, this is it for Brett Gardner. There's no way the Yankees pick up that option, in your opinion. Yeah, I don't see. I I just don't. I and I'm surprised that they even brought him back to begin with. Um, but you saw this year that Frazier with consistent at bats, he can be that. He can be that dude. Uh, he he puts he put to bed any doubts. He obviously worked on his defense. He was great defensively, Joe. He really was. Yeah, he he was very very solid defense. And listen. He came up as a center fielder with the Indians, right? The Yankees move him to left field. They jerked him around the outfield. They put him in right field where he clearly wasn't comfortable. And when you ask for guys who aren't inherently versatile to be versatile, it's not going to look pretty. It's just not. So if you stick him in left field. Torres, I mean, there's right. a, that's a third guy on this team. Right. Who's and this, this is with? this is. Who's something that they've been doing for years is trying to figure out versatility going back Remember to the when Tony years. Womack tried to play center field. Oh, God. <laughs> Who's the dude uh, 
who's the dude on? Is it the Rays? Margot? He was on the Padres. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're we're looking at a guy who played his up to that point his entire career center field in at Petco Park, no, or at least a majority of whatever. And you move him to right field, he looks like he's not even an outfielder, and some of these balls hit to him. It's not that simple. It's not. It's not. And and I think people think outfield and they can play all all three spots. That's just not the way it works. The angles, where you position yourself, the way that the the sun hits, you know, the way that the sun hits in the outfield, the way that the bat comes off the ball, or the reads, the depth, everything about it is different in all three positions. So asking a guy, you know, that, that's not going to be easy for anybody to just flip positions. It's just not that simple. So I, I do think that kind of sticking him in left field and saying, listen, left field's yours, figure it out. I think that's helped him a ton. All right, so you've already touched on this. You don't think James Paxton's coming back here. I uh, I would agree with that. Uh, Tanaka, you think they'll just float him something out of respect, but you ultimately don't think he'll be back here? I don't think so, unless unless Tanaka drops his price, which is, you know, it's a possibility because, you know, he really seems to love New York. Uh, first words out of his mouth when he came to New York were, I'm very happy to be New York Yankee. Um, so I, I do think that, he might be back on a really, really low, you know, a two-year deal, three-year deal. I don't know on on short money. If that's not it, then I don't see him. I don't see him coming back next year. All right, Zach Britton's got one of these weird contracts. I think if the Yankees don't pick up the fourth-year option, he can opt out in the off-season. But if he doesn't, then he's a free agent after twenty twenty-two. If I have that correct, it's right. some odd. Thing like that, call that a swell opt. Yes, yeah, swell opt. That was a, that was a, a term de jour. Like uh, la- I think it was last <laughs> year, or whatever it was. Um, is so. What do you think? The Yankees pick up the option. Uh, is that basically? However, you can come up with this because it's it hurts my brain to even think about how many different ways this contract can go. Is he on the team in twenty twenty one? He'll be back. They can't afford to let him go. They just can't. Now, the thing about Britain is he's so reliant on having good infield defense because of the sinker and the ground balls that you need to try and improve that, you know. So, um, but yeah, I, I, I don't see a lot of, and people seem to forget how big of a loss Tommy Canley was this year. We did. And when you look at, the, and, it, and you look at the Yankees, you look at the Yankees bullpen in the playoffs, well, you don't realize how important Tommy Canley was to that bullpen, right? And trying to piece that together. Cause then you're going to guys like Jonathan Luisica, who, you know, wasn't great and he's got a live arm, but he's just Luis Cecil light at this point. So can we, can we um, really put blame on whose fault it really is? And that's Adam Adovino for not being <laughs> anywhere near decent this year. Listen, if you look at Adam Adovino's career numbers, he had one sensational year and one very good year and the rest were very wishy-washy. So, um, him not really being able to figure it out this year has not really surprised me. And the fact that he broke down late in the season last year also doesn't surprise me. The Yankees are going to need him to be really good next year uh, if, if, if they want to make good on that contract. But to, to answer the original question, I think Britain's back being a lefty, you know, he's got good stuff. Uh, he's going to give you a heart attacks. He's going to put a, a guy on base here and there, but I, I, he's, he's very much worth the money. I don't see the Yankees letting him go. All right. Last one here. Uh, it's the hot, the hottest button topic that we'll get all off season. What are the Yankees going to do with Gary Sanchez? And before you answer, I think Aaron Boone, when he was on with Joe and Evan yesterday, had a really telling answer to what um, 
his response, well, what his response was when they asked him if he was committed to Gary as his catcher in 2021, a long pause, which was telling in its own right. And then he said, we have not had any discussions on the roster. <laughs> so, I mean, that kind of might give you a thinking into the Yankees uh, window into the Yankees thinking there, but what does Joe Rivera say? Will Gary Sanchez be on the Yankees in 2021? I, Gary, Yankee fans want you to stop being lazy. They want you to stop being family. Listen, you know, if, if, <laughs> if you want to play fantasy GM here, this is what I do. I move Luke Voigt. I trade Luke Voigt. I move Gary Sanchez to first base. That's it. That's your solution. You, you know, Joe, I really, re- I really resent people as a first baseman <laughs> who just think, you know what? He sucks defensively. Let's just throw him <laughs> at first. <laughs> Which is totally fair. But listen, I, I think that it's... I do think that that's an option. That can be an option. Obviously, you're taking away Gary's arm behind the plate, but his defensive shortcomings are still pretty apparent, right? And and when he if he's not going to be throwing guys out, then it's not really worth it to keep him back there. And the Yankees kind of see the writing on the wall. They've drafted three catches in the first two rounds in the last three seasons. They've drafted Austin Wells, Anthony Siegler, and Josh Bro. Three and catches. Higashioka is Jesus Christ's second coming. So, well, he's you know you say Jesus Christ, the Yankee fans talk about him like he's Austin Roman. It's pretty crazy. Um, but uh, you that might know, be a higher I, praise than to the yes, I Jesus think it is. is. <laughs> I, 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 it's funny because you know obviously I live in the New York metropolitan area and and listening to WFAN, and I can't tell you how many calls I've heard this year. It's the Yankees should have kept Austin Romine. It's Yankees, wild. Like, are you are you kidding me? Anyway, it's wild. But um, I, I do think that Sanchez will be on the team next year unless something really comes along. They are not going to pay for JT Realmuto, so they're they're just not going to invest the money into the catching position when they have catchers on the way up, um, and and they have Sanchez still there for now. Now, if you're telling me that you can you could potentially move Luke Voigt and try the Gary experience at first base. I don't think that would be a terrible idea. I really Chris, don't. New t-shirt I don't think the it Gary would be experience. All. No, it's actually it's great. We can have uh, we can have Glaber Torres Buddha ball pick it up when he shouldn't and throw it over to Gary in the dirt, and then we can watch it go skip and Gary it. can't block balls as it is. Man, <laughs> scoop him out of the dirt. At oh, first I base. I see it. I see it happening. But really, you know, I I think that. Uh, the pay, the Yankees hired Tanner Swanson last year to get Gary Wright defensively, right? And it still didn't really happen. And I know a lot of it was just get your one knee on the ground and make it easier, frame the pitches at the bottom of the zone better. But Sanchez is still not a great pitch framer. He, he ranked at the bottom in, in uh, strike stolen and, and framing rate. And then I want to say uh, sh- strike runs, I think, is the statistic from baseball savant. So he's he hasn't been grading out fantastic as a defensive catcher out of Yeah, way, Joe, so. there there was like this fake narrative going around Yankee the Yankee universe that mm-hmm. uh one of Sanchez's strengths was framing pitches and and you know I started to really focus in on it this year and I was like no, he's not good. This year it's dramatic. Year, and, he's right. pulls up like he, right. a ball that's on the that's painting the corner. You don't have to pull in four inches. Right. This year and last year, no. The year before that, he was a little bit above average. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's not – he got better at framing the low strike this year, which I think helps a little bit. He definitely but, did. Um, I, I think – and the looking at him as a defensive answer behind the plate, it's just not – it's not going to work out for them. It's not. He might call a good game, um, but it, you just don't get the feel that pitchers love throwing to him, and he just looks uncomfortable back there at times. So – 
Um, I don't know what their answer is. I do think he'll be back on the team next year. We'll see in what capacity, but he, he will be back unless something comes up where they get an offer they can't refuse or someone shakes available that no one expected. All right. Well, Joe, uh, that should wrap up everything that we needed to touch on today. We can't thank you enough. You spent about two hours. Yeah, with thanks, us, Joe. Uh, taking time out of your Saturday afternoon, Saturday morning to uh, talk to your buddies here at NYYST. Uh, we haven't gotten a chance to talk to you throughout all quarantine, so it was good to catch up, have you on the show. Uh, we'll t- I'm sure we'll touch base now that things are slowly creeping back to normal. Uh, as we, you know, approach free agency, we'll, you know, hopefully before the holidays, we'll touch base and everything. Uh, you can follow Joe on Twitter at Joe Rivera SN. Uh, the last column that I saw Joe post was actually the reason why I really wanted to have him on the show. What do the Yankees do now? The questions New York must answer for the offseason. You can find that on the sportingnews.com, even though Joe really went above and beyond the column on the show today, but still definitely uh, read it for his quotes like Times Square roasted nuts. Uh, <laughs> beautifully done. Beautifully done. Way, beautifully done. way to paint so, the picture. Joe, thank you very much for joining us, man. If you got anything you want to plug or say to the fans, go ahead. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Joe Rivera SN. And please, uh, if you click on my bio and you see my two nerds in a third podcast, uh, we, we do a pretty below average job on that. But <laughs> I have a lot of fun doing it. And, uh, you know, we could always use more Twitter followers. And we do a lot of fun discussions, movies, TV shows. Uh, we do not compete with the New York Yankee Sports Talk podcast. Um, so so that shouldn't uh, create a conflict of interest here. But, yeah, if you could give us a follow or a listen, that would any, be Any Joe Rivera content is good content. Go check it out. Seriously. I try to make it. I try to make it. All right. So, everybody, thank you for listening to Episode 198 of the NYY Sports Talk podcast. Please stay tuned. Episode 199 and 200 to keep them dumpums for 2021. Yes. Uh, we're really excited about it. We were hoping that we weren't going to have to do this until November, but you know, the Yankees like to disappoint these days. So here we are in the middle of October doing them. So thank you very much. Uh, please follow us on Twitter at NYY sports talk, follow Chris on Twitter at Chris junior underscore NYYST. Follow me on Twitter at Christian underscore NYYST. Uh, stack guy rise, probably drunk somewhere enjoying a bachelor yes. weekend with, uh, with his buddy who's getting married soon. So uh, Stack Guy Ride, uh, don't get liver poisoning. Come back to us next week. Uh, And that'll wrap up the show. Thank you for listening. Chris, say goodbye.